Hi, and welcome back to the Middling Along podcast. I'm your host, Emma Thomas. And today I'm delighted to welcome along Dr. Zoe Shadel. She's a GP and an accredited British Menopause Society specialist and also leads the Brighton and Hove Community NHS Menopause Clinic. Uh, she's a member of the BMS Medical Advisory Council, the Primary Care Women's Health Foundation's Education Committee and NHS England's Menopause Improvement Programme Clinical Reference Group. Gosh, that's quite a mouthful. She's also developed a special interest in sleep, which is why she's come to talk to us today and sits on the British Sleep Society Education Committee. She's the co-founder of the Good Sleep Clinic and has published articles on menopause in The Lancet and post-reproductive health. Welcome to the podcast, Zoe. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I hope I pronounced your surname okay. I didn't check that beforehand. That's fine. Yeah, it's Shadell. Shadell. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. All right. So... I guess I am I'm lucky in inverted commas I'm doing air inverted commas but no one can see me in that I've not sleep hasn't been a kind of a huge issue for me and I caveat that we're saying yet in perimenopause but it is one of sleep disturbances are one of the most common symptoms for for people going through perimenopause with sort of somewhere between 50 to 60% reporting difficulties either staying asleep or waking up more during the, the night time. So should we kick off by sort of trying to, to explain to people why that can be such a persistent problem? Sure, sure. So you're right, it is really quite common for sleep to be disturbed in the perimenopause and menopause. And it's definitely about more than half of women report some difficulties. The most common kind of problem is, like you said, waking up in the middle of the night so difficulty kind of staying asleep often people manage to fall asleep okay at the beginning of the night Mm. and then at some point two or three a.m they're just awake sometimes it's obvious why um but sometimes it really isn't it just feels like it's out of the blue um and this can be quite a sudden change so even women who've slept really well always been really good sleepers when they hit the perimenopause, it can change. Um, and sometimes it can be really hard to know what's caused that. So it can feel like quite out of the blue and it can be one of the quite early symptoms of, of perimenopause. And there's lots of reasons why. So a bit like everything else in the, the menopause, it could be hormones. So we are sort of reproductive hormones, are estrogen and progesterone. As we know, they do an awful lot of other things other than just keep our reproductive system going. And they are useful for sleep. So we know that as soon as oestrogen starts to vary and fall, this can start to affect the sleep. So as oestrogen drops, we tend to sleep a little bit shorter time. We tend to wake up more. And it's the same with progesterone. Progesterone can be quite a sedating, calming hormone. And when that starts to drop in the perimenopause, that, that will sometimes lead to disturbed sleep for some women. But it's not just those kind of background hormone changes. It's also the symptoms that the perimenopause mm. or menopause cause. Yeah. So if you are having hot flushes and night sweats, you're very likely to wake up. So, you know, we need our temperature to stay quite stable, to remain quite low, actually, throughout the night to keep us asleep. And if we get a huge surge in temperature or you know sweating or shivering or any of those things it's very likely to wake us up sometimes that's really obvious women will wake in the middle of the night they'll feel absolutely drenched have to get up change all those sorts of things but sometimes you don't know about it it's actually it's kind of those subtle background changes so even even if it's not enough to kind of say oh I'm completely drenched from head to toe it doesn't have to be that dramatic to wake you up from your kind of absolutely and I think also 
we all wake through the night various times. We have these sort of sleep cycles and every 90 minutes, you often just come back up to waking. And usually we don't remember that. We just Mm. fall straight back to sleep, go into the next sleep cycle. But if you're having, you know, your temperature's changing or you're having any kind of symptom, you're more likely to stay awake and you're more likely to remember it and know about it. Um, So I think that's going on. And also often the mood changes in the perimenopause and menopause can contribute. So if you've got a low mood, you're more likely to wake up in the night or find it difficult to go to sleep at the beginning of the night um, and anxiety and, and things like that. Even getting up to urinate more in the night. So we see that more in the menopause and obviously that can disturb the sleep as well. And there is also just getting older. So a bit like everything else in the body, as we age, things stop working good so news, well. <laughs> I know, I know. And I and it, I think it's good to know it's also just part of that natural aging. So even men, as they age, their mm. sleep becomes, you know, it changes. You get a little bit less what we call slow wave sleep or deep sleep as you get older. And so that's quite natural as well. And I also think it's worth mentioning that menopause often happens at a time, as you know, when lots is going on in life and women are really overloaded and stressed and overwhelmed and all of those things can trigger bad sleep as well so it's kind of this cocktail of things well there's definitely that thing of you know I think if you get to the as you say the sort of the two three or four and you wake up and then suddenly you've got this really busy brain and all the things like what's my sort of shopping list of things that I'm worrying about right now and it's just just seems really really hard to to turn that off and I think the the longer that kind of creeps in towards your wake up time the harder it is to yeah because you know you haven't got much longer and you have to get up and yeah. you can see that kind of time disappearing <laughs> and I think also in in life when women are really busy they don't take much time to sort of reflect and think and just have that kind of downtime. And so if you do wake up in the middle of the night, your brain is sort of yearning for a bit of thinking time. And it's the worst time to be thinking. You know, we really don't want to be thinking in the middle of the night about all the things we've got to do the next day. But often there hasn't been that much other space in, in yeah. life to do your that. Your brain's like, right. Yes. <laughs> Great, a clean slate. So I'm yeah. just, just going to run through the list. Won't take yeah. long, maybe an hour. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> So probably a lot of people have heard of sleep hygiene, but if they haven't come across that term before, can you talk us some of the the sort of the strategies, some of the things that we can do to kind of help us sleep better, get to sleep better and stay asleep? Yeah, sure. So sleep hygiene is a kind of it's a term that describes really good common sense habits to help with sleep. Uh, But it's not a kind of set term. There's no definition of what sleep hygiene is. It's just a sort of collection of things that make good sense. And most sleep hygiene advice is based on trying to kind of emphasize and strengthen your body's own sleep sort of regulation systems. So actually, although it doesn't feel like it, our body is designed to sleep well and it's designed to kind of put us to sleep every night and get a reasonable sleep and then wake us up. And there are different mechanisms that go into that. But one of those is our natural body clock, our circadian rhythm. Hmm. And the idea with that is that Every kind of 24 hours, we move through this rhythm. And in the morning, you know, we wake and we feel alert. We can get on with the day and do all sorts of activities. And at night, we are prompted by our body clock to wind down and go to sleep and sleep through the night. And there's various things we can do that will really help to emphasize this circadian rhythm. And in particular, it's things to do with light and temperature and routine. 
So in terms of light, we know that actually we do have, have very light lives. So we have lots of artificial light. It wasn't exactly how we were designed. We were, you know, we had a much kind of darker evenings before the invention of the electric light bulb, people slept better. So our sleep time has gradually reduced since we've had sort of electric lighting and things like that. So it's just really tapping into if you can have some time before bed where the lights are dimmer, but you're not in this really bright artificial light, it allows more release of a hormone called melatonin. So we release melatonin in our brains in the pineal gland. And the darker it is, the more that release is encouraged. And so you really want melatonin. Melatonin is kind of setting the scene for sleep. And naturally, we release it about an hour before we, you know, we go to bed or we go to sleep. And if we can kind of emphasize that by just dimming the lights a little bit, um, that can be really helpful. And you can do the kind of opposite. In the morning when you wake, you can try and expose yourself to some natural light, some daylight to say, this is the time to shut off that melatonin. And, and this is the kind of cycle that we're in. Day, awake, alert, light, nighttime dark kind of release that melatonin and get you ready for sleep and you you were saying that the melatonin our bodies release that an hour before sleep so is that part of that why it's good to have that routine that your body kind of almost it knows when it needs to sort of kick that process off yeah you're absolutely right because we don't just sort of it's a bit like coming off a motorway isn't it you can be driving along quite fast you don't just suddenly turn off onto the slip road you have to slow down you have to break you have to give yourself some time and it's the same with going to sleep so you do get that release of melatonin and also your body is set up that it doesn't particularly want to be doing other things so for instance we don't really want to be eating much or drinking much out before we go to bed because we don't want our body to be active you know our gut to be working we want everything all of that to be on the low down and so you're absolutely right. Having a bit of time where the lights are dim, we're not eating, getting into that kind of more sleepy mindset. Our brains aren't really active is, is really useful as well. It's almost like we need to need to baby ourselves and kind of do the <laughs> bath, not quite bath bed pajamas and kind well, of a story. But I mean, you've literally summed it up. And the thing is, it makes perfect sense with children, right? You can mm. see, you can absolutely see you've got this kind of wired child in front of you. And you know, you couldn't just say, I'm going to stick you right in bed now and go to sleep, click your fingers. They do need a little bit of wind down. And for some reason, when we're adults we just think we don't need it and it's fine but actually we would probably benefit from a bedtime story I mean I know that sounds ridiculous but sleeping before bed you know just switching our mind from the day to something where we're just not you know we're not running at that speed is really helpful and it's some people do really love you know there are different apps and things like that and you can get yeah my son uses um headspace the sleep casts so he's 12 and a half and that just kind of is that little wind down for his busy brain sort of 45 minutes I think they are so generally he's kind of out for the count by the time it's exactly and honestly I think we lit we can totally see it with kids but adults would really benefit Mm. from that as well um so yeah definitely and the other thing is temperature so I think this is more powerful than we think. We naturally need to drop our body temperature before we go to sleep. You have to actually drop it a little bit to sleep. And we can kind of, we we often have the heating on, we're in quite warm places. Mm. And actually keeping our bedroom nice and cool can really help to generate sleep. And you can kind of enhance it by having a hot bath or shower. So exactly as you said with that pre-bedtime routine for kids, 
if we have a hot bath or shower, we encourage heat out of our bodies to our skin. We drop our core temperature. And that again, that helps us get to sleep. So they're all good ideas. Okay. The other thing that I've uh, noticed it more so now in sort of perimenopause is that any kind of amount of alcohol really will make me will probably wake up because of the you know getting kind of hotter and 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 or I think one of my other guests was saying you know you get the sugar kind of rebound the blood sugar kind of really really dips and that can wake you up as well so yeah I think that's definitely another thing that I'm kind of much more aware of the sort of poor sleep on the occasions that I do yeah have a have more than one alcohol is really interesting as well because you've got you can see that really clear link you know you kind of know if you have some alcohol, you're going to have a worse night's sleep. Mm. But I think what's tricky is that for some people, it's actually one of the things they turn to when they're not sleeping well, because it can make you a bit more drowsy at the beginning of the night. And if you struggle to fall asleep, we I mean, we've probably all experienced having a bit of alcohol and then feeling quite drowsy. And so what I sometimes see is that people have kind of increased their alcohol, or using it more regularly because they're struggling with sleep. And the problem with that is the sleep that you have with alcohol just isn't good quality. And even if you don't find you're waking up, Mm. what's happening in the background is that you're not getting that same kind of rapid eye movement sleep, the kind of quality sleep that we need. And you do get these little micro wakings as well that you might not even remember, but you will tend to wake up feeling much worse if you've had alcohol the night before. And actually the closer you have alcohol to bedtime, the worse it is. So, you know, if you are drinking, it's much better to have it earlier in the day, perhaps not at breakfast, but, you know, a bit earlier in the day, <laughs> um, it can be better. And again, it's just really, it's just really saying, like in menopause, in midlife, our alcohol tolerance often does drop. Mm. And it's the same with the sleep becomes more sensitive. And we've just got to be really careful. I think alcohol is quite a powerful sleep disruptor. And while I was doing a bit of research on your website uh, before we spoke, I learned a new term, which is sleep drive. Not something I come across before. Can you explain, you know, what it is, how it works? How does it kind of impact on our ability to get back to sleep if we got that classic kind of two, three, four a.m. wake up? Mm-hmm. So you know, I said with the sleep hygiene habits. They're all designed around our own mechanisms that are there anyway to help us sleep. And one of them is the body clock, the circadian rhythm. But the other one that's really powerful is this idea of sleep drive. And what happens is from the moment that you wake up in the morning, your brain produces this this substance called adenosine. And it's a chemical. And from waking, it starts to build up and the levels get higher and higher throughout the day. And as these levels increase, so does what we call your sleep drive or sleep pressure is another Mm. word for it. And it's almost like stretching an elastic band. As that increases throughout the day, you get closer and closer to your bedtime. And this adenosine, when it's at high levels, creates that sense of sleepiness. So it's what will help you fall asleep at the beginning of the night. So you've got the body clock that prepares your body and your mind for for sleep. And then you've got the kind of sleep drive, the sleep pressure, the adenosine levels ready to make you feel sleepy and fall asleep. And the more adenosine you have, the easier it is to go to sleep, but also the longer you stay asleep for. So what we find in people that haven't been sleeping well, 
is that quite often they've got quite weak sleep drive. Mm. And we really need to enhance this sleep drive, really see what we can do to build it up to make falling asleep easy, but also keep them keep them asleep for as long as possible. And there are things you can do to try and increase the sleep drive. So you build up more adenosine with exercise and with activity. And people who make sure they do daily exercise, daily activity, do tend to find they sleep a bit better. So that's a really good one. But also just cognitive activity, you know, talking with people, thinking, working, all those things contribute to having a good sleep drive. The other thing that really, really matters is how long you've been asleep for. And often I speak to women, particularly in the perimenopause or menopause, who are just so exhausted that they're getting into bed quite early. You know, you're so (laughs) tired, you know, once you get in, you're going to drop off. But if you go to bed too early, you haven't given yourself the chance to really build up these high levels. So sometimes I actually say, look, do you think you could stay up another half an hour or an hour? Just really emphasize that adenosine, give it a chance to build up. Because Mm. as soon as you fall asleep, it starts to drain away. And by the morning, it's zero and you don't have it. It's a vicious circle then if you're, you then you wake up early. So you're even more tired that evening or you think you're more tired enough. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, so whatever you can do to kind of enhance it. And I think also when people are tired, so, you know, not sleeping makes you feel exhausted and tired. Mm. You do start to drop things in life. You start to do less exercise commonly. You know, it's really hard to think, well, I know what will help me is, you know, I'm absolutely exhausted, but I got to go out and do something. And people often drop their social lives and become a bit more withdrawn. Same as with Mm. menopause symptoms. You know, you often find that people just don't do the things that they know would be good for them or nurture them or and the problem is when you stop doing those things you have a less good sleep drive and it is it's exactly as you say it's a vicious cycle is there sort of you know thinking about things like the exercise is there a minimum amount so like you know if somebody was really struggling would a sort of you know 15 20 minute walk absolutely be enough yeah there's evidence that almost anything almost any activity just moving your body for a short time can be helpful and also you, you said it really is if you can do that outside even better because you are then getting the natural light into the eyes in the daytime to be outside being active even for a short time can really help just to give us that light that signal that then when you move to the dark at night you're then more ready for sleep so I think just and also we all have to start somewhere don't we it's much much better to start small just with Mm. you know simple things that can make a bit of a difference yeah definitely something sustainable and it doesn't feel too overwhelming Having said that, I am one of those people who who kind of continually sort of sets, you know, says, oh, I'll go for a walk at lunchtime. And then, you know, it doesn't happen. But, um, yeah, I, I kind of get my exercise in first thing in the morning. Otherwise, generally, if it doesn't happen, then it's, it's not going to happen. Well, you've all. got to do what works for you. Exactly. And, and, you know, that, you know, whenever works is, is brilliant. And actually, probably the earlier the day, the better for some people who exercise late night. There is some evidence that late night exercise isn't very good for sleep, actually. So you're doing it the right way around for sure. Anything else that, that we haven't sort of covered in terms of sort of sleep hygiene, sleep drive? We're all pretty much guilty of, of looking at our, our phones. Well, 
So I definitely am anyway, too late at night. I mean, is there, you were talking about that sort of that hour before sleep is that's the kind of the critical window really. Are we including things like TV screens as well as phones? Because I think, you know, again, there's that temptation that you kind of, you get everything done, clear up after dinner, sort of flop on the sofa and kind of watch TV for that last hour before bed. And I think it really depends. So I actually, I'm not that strict on the advice about screens because Actually, the most important thing for me is that you're relaxing before Mm. bed. And I also think we have to be really realistic, right? Like the idea that you have this clear hour of your day before bedtime where you can't do anything but lie there and candlelight. I mean, who has that time? It's really hard. And I certainly don't. And so I think we have to just be really careful. What we want to do is for you to be in a situation at bed where you're feeling fairly relaxed and your mind isn't full of the day Mm. and whatever works for you really so a bit of tv i watch tv before bed a bit of tv before bed if you enjoy it it's relaxing it's absolutely fine i think where screens can become more problematic is that kind of um screen activity that really draws you in and gets you a little bit kind of very stimulated particularly mm. social media to be honest doom so, scroll. don't do scroll. i know don't like, do scroll. you get so stuck into it and i mean even netflix you know the whole you know do you want to go on to the next episode and it automatically takes you there mm. it just means we're not so in control of our timings in the evening you can easily sit there for another episode another episode but the screen itself I think we have to be very relaxed lots of people find a bit of tv helpful and I think that's absolutely fine and again I don't think it needs to be an hour full of relaxation activities it's whatever you you can kind of fit in that just brings you down from that kind of daytime you just need a transition a little bit of a movement between day and nighttime Um, and often it can be quite quick it could be 20 minutes before you switch things off have a shower you know, read something, listen to something on an app, and then that's it, you know, but whatever kind of gives you the chance to wind down a bit. Sometimes um, people find it helpful, depending on how busy your mind is. So often women during this time have got very busy minds. And if they struggle to fall asleep, or if they wake up with racing mind, which is really, really common, it can be helpful to do a little bit of a brain dump before. So funnily enough, I was going to ask you about that. I really love it. So we call it, there's lots of different things you do, but putting the day to rest. So mm. just getting some time. And I think it takes about 10, 15 minutes maximum and just writing down everything that's kind of near to the surface. Yeah. What are the things that you meant to do, but you didn't yeah. get around to, that you know you're going to have to do tomorrow, the things that are going to be kind of popping up at three in the morning if you're suddenly wide awake. Yeah. You get it all out on paper or, Yeah. 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 So I think it's it's a great exercise to do um, because, again, like you said, if it's not on paper, it's going to be right on the mind and it's going to come out at three in the morning, you know, absolutely guarantee it. So I think that's really lovely. There was one other sleep kind of hygiene or habit tip we didn't mention that's important, which mm. is related to that sleep drive idea, which is caffeine. And that's mm. super interesting because the way that caffeine actually works is to block the adenosine receptors. So all of that sleepiness chemical that you have in your brain. So you're cancelling all that good stuff you're out. You're cancelling it. You're literally, and actually worse, you're kind of holding it back for when the caffeine runs out and then it makes you even more, you have this kind of crash afterwards. Mm. So it is really important to try and limit caffeine to the morning because caffeine does hang around for quite a while. It's got quite a long half-life. So really do, if you are feeling exhausted and you need something in the afternoon to wake you up try to avoid having a caffeinated mm. drink because it can really be disruptive 
yeah, maybe just a five minute walk around the block instead to kind yes. of yes. top, up, top yeah, up your levels. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Can you explain a little bit um, about the use of CBT or CBTI for, for insomnia? I think there have been some interesting articles actually recently about this. So is that something that you use in 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 practice with patients? Yeah. How yeah. how does that work, and does it only work for sort of people with chronic insomnia, or if people have occasional stuff? Do you use it? So yeah, so it's a really useful treatment, and I suppose the important thing to say is, you know, all those sleep hygiene and the sleep habits, they're fantastic things to do. But if you have got insomnia, or if you've got a long term sleep problem. They don't work. You know, you can have perfect sleep hygiene, but you can get stuck in a cycle of poor sleep and then you're going to need some other help, something else to do. And um, CBTI is cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. And I don't think the name is actually that helpful. It, it, it kind of we have CBT for lots of things, for depression, for anxiety. But CBT for insomnia is really different. It's a sort of very structured step by step program. And the way it works is that it does, it talks about a lot of the things that I've talked about. How do you enhance the body clock? How do you enhance the sleep drive? And it looks at some of the cognitions, the sort of thinking, the kind of anxiety around sleep. Lots of people are very anxious around sleep when they're not sleeping. And it looks at how to reduce those things. And it also looks at the behaviours. So particularly around the timings for sleep and what you do what do you do when you're awake in the middle of the night what can you do that's helpful that's not going to make things worse how do you get out of the worry spiral (laughs) yeah absolutely and also our brain makes really big connections with our our bed and we know that if we're lying awake for hours we start to associate being in bed with being awake and we need to really reverse that and spend less time awake in bed and more time asleep in bed. So that's what CBTI works on. And it does it in different ways. So it has lots of different components to it. So you tend to have a bit of understanding how sleep works, a bit of timings change, some, some help with your thoughts, some exercises like breathing exercises or mindfulness, it's all sorts of things. And you can do it in different ways. You can use a book. There are online programs. You can do it face to face. And in the Good Sleep Clinic, um, which is the clinic that I founded along with my sister, who's a clinical psychologist, we will often use CBTI to help treat people for their sleep. And I think it's it's the number one treatment. It's rec- you know it's got the evidence base. So the nice guidelines in the UK and also the American guidelines all say. This is the thing to try first if you have insomnia. It is more effective than sleeping medication in the short term. And in the long term, it's much, much better than than sleeping medication. And I think the only thing is also I will see women in my menopause clinic with Myla Health who, you know, you can do CBTI, but also you need to help with the symptoms of menopause. So CBTI is effective whether or not you're on HRT Mm. but but if you are waking up with night sweats all throughout the night it may be that some hormonal treatment will help as well you know so we have to look at the whole picture look at it from all those different angles yeah so you say um and actually we haven't really touched on HRT but obviously some do find that starting HRT can can help several of those kind of aspects of of poor sleep Mm. Um, so it's definitely something to to consider if, if people yeah. are struggling if people are struggling and and cert- if they have any symptoms like hot flushes and night sweats hrt can be very effective but even if they don't it can sometimes help 
But I think also the opposite is true, is that you can be on HRT and your symptoms of menopause can get better and your sleep doesn't improve. And that's where you need to do that kind of just looking at the other things and try something like CBTI. And actually, there's lots of evidence that it's helpful in that situation. So, you know, it, for women in the menopause, it's probably the most effective thing we've got to really reset sleep problems. And sort of obviously everyone is different, but is there a sort of a typical time frame that that someone can expect to see results using CBTI? Yeah, it's six to eight weeks. So, you know, a course can be six weeks, it can be eight weeks. It's rarely much longer than eight weeks. And, you know, that can feel like a long time. It can feel like hard work, but when it makes that practical difference and you really feel like your sleep is improving, it's, and also particularly if you're supported through it, and that's, you know, you usually have a weekly session with somebody and that can make it really you know, much easier to kind of stay motivated and make the changes that you need to make. Mm. And I've come across uh, an app, I think, called Sleepio. There are yes. some parts of the NHS where that's available. Is that right? At the moment, it's just Scotland, unfortunately. But there is there are two excellent digital programmes. One of them is Sleepio, which is available for free in Scotland or for people who have had cancer in the last year through the Macmillan charity, oh, okay. uh, which is really good to know. But the, the other one is Sleep Station. Mm-hmm. And again, there are pockets of the NHS where Sleep Station is free, but it is one of those postcode things. So you have to ask your GP. Um, but they're, they're both based on and CBT for insomnia and they're both really effective. Fantastic. Well, loads and loads of good advice there if you're struggling with sleep. And uh, yeah, if you want to to find Zoe online, it's goodsleep.clinic. And we'll drop a link uh, in the show notes. And, you'll... and also, sorry, at Myla Health. So, and at uh, Myla Health. Yeah, mylahealth.co.uk. Fantastic. We'll make sure we put both of those links into the show notes. And uh, where can they find you on Instagram, Zoe? It is Zoe Menopause Doctor. Uh, dr doctor at the end and my health actually has it we have our own instagram page great well we'll make sure we put all of that into the notes at the end uh, so everybody can find you and yeah thank you so much for your time today i learned so much thank you so much for having me lovely to speak to you you've been listening to the middling along podcast do remember to subscribe to be notified when our next episode is live and why not visit the blog at www.middlingalong.com sign up to my newsletter as well i do hope you enjoyed listening today if you did i'd be really grateful if you would consider leaving a short review as that helps people find the podcast and helps get it noticed hope you can join us next time goodbye for now